We're in this series called Stand. It's a God chaser story from the life of Daniel. And last week, you might remember, we met a young man named Daniel. This series is a study of the book that's called Daniel. It's in the Old Testament of the Bible, and it's named after this guy, Daniel. So if you've got a Bible, uh, if you go ahead and open it up, we'll be in Daniel chapter 2 today. You can also pull up your device, grab your phone uh, if you want to there. Uh, Or if you don't have a Bible of your own or you don't have a good readable version of the Bible, we've got free ones that we give away. They're right underneath your seats there. You can grab one of those and make sure to take it home with you today. Don't leave without a good readable version of the Bible. Daniel's in the Old Testament of the Bible, and it happens uh, several hundred years before the birth of Jesus. We're coming up on Christmas season, and so that kind of gives you some idea uh, of where Daniel falls in the grand timeline of Scripture. Um, And he actually is known as a prophet because uh, he hears things from God and he tells them to people. But what we get from the book of Daniel is also a very good narrative of his life and what he's doing. Uh, When we first meet Daniel last week, he's about 15 years old. And we follow his life until he's about 80 years old. The thing about Daniel's life that really makes him stand out is the fact that Daniel knew how to take a stand and be a God chaser in a world that was totally not chasing God. When he was about 15 years old, uh, his homeland, Judea, was overthrown by the Babylonians. And so he was taken with a bunch of other young men to the, the land of Babylon, uh, and, and which is a culture that's anything but God-honoring. And he was forced to live there and be trained uh, to become a servant of the king, uh, one of his wise men. So he was trained in literature, he's trained in language, he's trained in the arts, he's trained in all of these things, and, and he's a very, very young man. Last week, what we saw was how Daniel took a stand in that culture. As they tried to get him to do something that was kind of against his faith and it would defile him as a Jew. And he said, I'm not going to do that. And so if you missed that, I hope you go catch up on it on our podcast. Because we saw, man, this guy was a bold young man. I asked this question last week and I'll ask you now. What were you doing when you were 15? Right? And here's Daniel and we see him standing up to a king. And he begins the path of something that is going to become historic. So much so that we're talking about it today, hundreds and thousands of years later. You know, so much of being a God chaser in this world is learning what it means to take a stand. At our church, we have kind of this three-part goal. We want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And we talk about those kind of in, in rotation, off and on. And that first one, being a God-chaser, is really what this story is about. What does it look like to take the ideas, the thoughts, the heart of God and place it at the center of my life and make that a, a guiding force that's going to uh, guide me through the next phases of my life? That's what a God-chaser does. And part of learning to stand is finding the endurance to stand even when it gets hard. Even when we get to the part where it's like, I don't, even, I don't even know what step to take yet. I, don't even, I can't even handle the pressure that's coming at me in life right now. Being able to say that even in that moment, I'm going to find the endurance to stand, to do what I know is right. Um, so when I was uh, in high school, I tried out for the wrestling team. It's been about 20 years since then, and so the, some of the details are fuzzy. But I remember, I will, I will never forget my first day of tryouts. Let me tell you about it. So uh, we, we show up in the wrestling room, and the coach says, okay, first thing we're going to do is head down to the football field to the track. And we get to the track, and we're like, oh, this is not wrestling. I thought we were going to be, like, throwing people around the room. He's like, all right, ready, set, start running. We're like, oh, what? Run. Oh, okay. So we're like, okay, coach said run. So we start running. We run. I remember running, and I was pretty eager to be on the team, and, and, uh, and I was there with a buddy, so I didn't even have a second thought. Young guy in decent shape. Start running. I remember first lap, second lap. We get to about the third lap, and this thought occurs to me. Coach never told us how far or for how long we're going to run. I wonder how long this is, is going to last. And so we keep, we keep running. Uh, 
after a little while, some of our bigger boys, it's wrestling, okay? So you got, you got some big boys, and they're slowing down, man. It's like, I just, I can't do it. You know, so they're like, honestly, they're just getting lapped, and we're running. And so I remember one of them going, Coach, how long are we going to run? How long is this going to take? This is what Coach said, until we finish. That's when I knew I wish I'd have tried out for a debate club. <laughs> I'm like, oh, goodness, there's like another lap. And I, I don't remember so long ago. I don't know how many laps we ran. We just ran and ran and ran. Some of the boys had quit running, lap after lap. Some of them were just barely dragging. And you, you finally, you hear some other guys going, Coach, how much longer? And Coach says, look, you can stop any time you want to stop. It's fine. It's a free country. But if you want to be on this team, you're going to do everything in your power to keep moving. And so then you just see people like, okay, he said, you don't have to run, you can jog, you can speed walk, but do not stop. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. So lap, another lap, finally, blows the whistle, huddle up, it comes around. And, and, and this was a, a, a defining moment for me. He stands around here and he goes, all right, all of you boys that gave up on me, you can go on home. You can try out next year, but I don't need you this year. If you're still standing, congratulations, you made the team. As long as you will dig deep and give me everything you got, you will have a spot on this team. I made the team. I was so excited. You know, I learned something from that coach that day. Like any coach, he wanted us to win. And we did decent. There were some of us who did pretty good, and as a team, we did all right. But like any coach, he wanted us to win. But I think more than that, he wanted us to know how dig we, deep we could dig. He, he wanted us to know what it meant to endure, what it meant to last, what it meant to keep standing even when we didn't feel like we had anything left to give. And you know, standing as a God chaser in a world that's not about chasing God, it's a lot like that. You, you ever had those days where it's like lap after lap after lap after lap, and you're like, when is this going to be over? And the answer is, um, when it's over. That's when it's going to be over. And there's no break, and there's no water trough to go drink out of it's just you just got to keep going and, and, and the question arises like when is this craziness going to end you've reached the end of your rope you, you've reached the end of your resources maybe you've reached the end of your faith you're like I don't even have a leg to stand on but you still got to keep going right that's just how life works and you just don't have what it takes to stand anymore this is where God is so vital to us and this is where he's different than my coach was because when we're weak, God is still strong. And after we've done everything we can do to continue standing, God has still got plenty of strength left of his own. And he reaches down and he'll give us that. And he'll give us what we need to keep going. This is what I found in my life. And this is what I think we're going to learn from Daniel this week. So if you've got your Bibles open already or if you haven't yet, go ahead and open to Daniel chapter 2. Because I want to look at Daniel's story and see where we head from here. It's been about two years since last week's story. Like I said, last week he was about 15 years old. Now uh, the good estimate is that he's probably 17 or 18 years old. And Daniel is, he's going to hit this wall that he could have never predicted was going to happen so soon in his new job. He's going to have to stand in an area where he simply doesn't have the strength to do it on his own. He's not going to be able, he's not going to be prepared. Uh, we got a lot to dig into today. So what I want to do is I want to see what we can learn from Daniel. And we're going to go ahead and jump into Daniel chapter 2 and look at verse 1. So it'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bibles. Uh, by the way, some people have asked, and, and I've noticed, you, you try to read your Bibles and it's really dark in here. Uh, we're doing what we can to figure out a way to, to do house lighting so you can have a little bit more of that. Just so you know, if you're confused, like, why do you tell me to open my Bible 
And I don't, I can't see. I don't have night vision. So hang in there. Um, meanwhile, I'll be on the screen. In verse 1, this is where it begins. So it's in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar begins having these dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. And so the king summoned magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers to come and tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Verse 4, then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it for you. You would think that's kind of how it goes, right? You tell us, and then we'll tell you. This next part gets kind of funny, though. Um, Remember I told you last week Nebuchadnezzar was a little bit crazy? He was a lot crazy. Look, look at verse 5. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. I just imagine he's yelling at this time, probably screaming. That's maybe just me, but I just think he's just that guy. This is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house turned into a pile of rubble. By the way, I think you have to yell when you tell someone you're going to cut them into pieces. You can't like calmly tell them that. I'm going to slowly cut. Anyway, verse 6. But if you tell me the dream... And explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So, tell me the dream and interpret it for me. This is the kind of crazy I was talking about, okay? Like, he's like, I'm not going to tell you what my dream is. You tell me. Read my mind, fools. What do I pay you for? Which is kind of a good point. You are our enchanters and sorcerers. Like, you need to do something for me. And so he puts them to the test. Um, these people... They claim to have some sort of deep ethereal knowledge and that you're going to dive, tap into it. And so he says, I'm, I'm calling you on it right now. Magicians, sorcerers, wizards, wise men. By the way, the wise men from the Bible, this is the kind of people that they would have been. These, these kind of learned people who would serve the king. Verse 7. Once more, they've replied. They're, they're, they're going to try to diffuse the situation a bit. They say, let the king tell his servants the dream. And then we'll interpret it. I imagine them being very, very calm and very patient with the king, who is probably in a nightgown. I just imagine this too. So they're like, okay, sir, okay, um, it's clear that you've had a dream and you're a bit troubled. Uh, what can we do? Would you like some milk and cookies? Like, can we, can we bring this down a notch? Then verse 8, the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. And they're imagining little bits and pieces of themselves. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. I have no idea what these enchanters did to get on Nebuchadnezzar's bad side this day. But he's pretty firm. In verse 10 it says, the astrologers answered the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the human. You got to give these guys credit. Um, they can see the hangman around the corner. Like, they know what's coming, and they're doing everything they can to try to defuse this situation, and it's not going anywhere. And so in verse 12, we see, this made the king so angry and furious, he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. The men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. 
If you remember last week, that was what they were training to become. Now, this is actually like probably terrible leadership skills. Like some of you guys might be business owners or bosses or managers. Like if you have a few incompetent employees, don't kill all of them, okay? Just kill them and then, you know what I mean? Like you don't just like go around killing everyone, but he's had it. He's going to go kill everyone. In case you don't have a sense of humor, don't really kill anybody, okay? That's not advisable. Um, so this, this sets us up for our guy Daniel. Uh, I, I doubt that a monarch has ever showed up at your house uh, with his hit squad because he was having bad dreams, okay? So sometimes you read, like, the Bible, and you're like, I don't think I can relate to that. No. Um, and no, we can't in that way. But I think there's something that you have experienced that Daniel is faced with right now. You probably have walked right into a situation that's a big, ugly mess that you didn't make, and you have no idea how to clean it up. You didn't make this mess, but you're left dealing with it. You ever walked out uh, to your car, and you found that it had been broken into? You're like, what? Like, what? I, what? What? Like, I locked my doors and everything. I parked under the street. Like, what? But you didn't make the mess, but you're left to deal with it. No one else is going to help you with that, right? It's your car. You've got to deal with it. Uh, maybe you go to work, and you get there, and you find out that that day was your last day at work. You were laid off, or you've been let go. You didn't see it coming, but guess what? It's your thing to deal with now. You didn't make the mess, but you're left to fill in the blanks. Parents, you ever got a call from someone, a teacher, principal, the parent of one of your kid's friends, and got a message that your kid had done something really, really bad? And then you got to deal with it. You didn't make the mess. In fact, you told them already, don't do that. But it's your mess to deal with now. We we hear that there's another big tragedy in the news, another shooting or another big thing happening internationally. And then, I didn't have anything to do with that. But now we've got to raise our kids in this world, right? It's like that moment when you realize you stepped in chewing gum. (laughs) I didn't put this here. It's not my gum. Oh, it is now, partner. <laughs> that is your gum. You'll be all day, like, scraping it off. And that's what, every day, man, we run into these things that I didn't do this, but now I'm stuck in this. Or I'll add this. Maybe, maybe you did do it. Maybe you did do it. You, you wish you hadn't, but it's too late. You did do it. But either way, you, you hit this wall, and you just don't know what to do next. You don't have the power. You don't have the resources. You don't have the influence. You don't have the ability to do anything about it. That's what just happened to Daniel. He, he's got this, uh, he, he's this new wise man for the king. Uh, he just got it on the job, probably has a brand new name tag and everything. Wise man, Daniel. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, your first task is execution. What? Wait, 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 ho, 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 ho. Let, let me talk to the king. Now, this is pretty neat because um, you don't just go walking up to the king. But if you remember from chapter 1, Daniel had made such an impression on the king's uh, uh, I think Ashpenaz was the guy's name, the guy that was leading the young men. He had made such an impression on them that the king noticed Daniel and actually kind of gave praise to, to Daniel for the way that he was faithful to his God and all that stuff. So it's amazing that the little things that Daniel did early to take a stand are suddenly paying off in huge dividends because this is what Daniel is able to do. He's able to go and, and make a stand again. And so first he goes to the officer, the guard who's come to execute him or to take him away. In verse 15. It says he, it's talking about Daniel, he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a hard decree? And Ariok, that's the soldier, he explained to the, the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king. You don't just do that, by the way, right? Everyone understands that. But he gets this opportunity. He goes to the king and he asks for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. 
Now, this is not Daniel's mess, and he doesn't know the interpretation to the dream. We're going to find out later. He has no idea what this dream means. But before he lays down and just gives up and passes out on the coach, he's got an idea. And it's the same idea that helped him before when he was training and he, and he didn't eat the food that was going to defile him. Instead of uh, trying to take on this problem on his own and manage it by himself, he decides he wants to take the issue to God. Because he said, I don't have the strength, I don't have the answer to this dream. And so in verse 17, uh, then Daniel returned to his house. He explained this matter to his friends. Remember these guys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? Uh, they're also called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their, their Babylonian names. So he goes back home to his roommates, and he, he urged them. He says, guys, plead for mercy from God concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might be executed with the rest of his, the wise men in Babylon. I mean, they, they don't have answers, but they're like, what are they going to do? Let's pray. They take a knee, and they begin to pray. So they pray, and we don't have their prayer recorded in Scripture. Uh, it'd be awesome to see what exactly they said. Uh, I don't know what they said, but I can imagine what they said because I've been somewhat in Daniel's shoes before. And this is a prayer I want to give to you. This is my gift to you for Happy Thanksgiving. Here we go. This is the prayer that I've prayed more times than I can count. Lord, I have no idea what to do right now. This problem's bigger than I can handle. And I don't know what to do. All I know is that you're able. And then you could close it with a Jesus name, amen, or a the end, or I hope I live heavily ever after. Like, however you want to close that prayer. But I have so many times just gone to God and be like, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I know that you can. So please do. I imagine that's, I imagine that's the summary of what Daniel and his friends prayed that night. The prayer that he prays there is a prayer that we see very similar in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3. Uh, the apostle Paul is teaching and he's praying there near the end of that book and this is what he prays and this may be more articulate than my prayer. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to his power that has work within us. And see, the thing that the Apostle Paul knew there and the thing that Daniel knew there is that God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I, I am blown away time and time again when I see God just show up in a situation and I'm like, whoa, I would have never pictured it being done that way. Why? Because God is able to do more than we could ever ask or even imagine. And our wildest dreams, the solutions God has, would never come to us. Here's what I know about myself. I have limits. I have limits. It's, it's hard to say. I am a man. <laughs> and I understand as men sometimes we are hard-headed and we think we can do everything. But I have learned about myself that I have limits. Tons of limits. I think one of the hallmarks of growing up is knowing your limits. I've discovered that I can no longer stay up till 2 a.m. every night and still wake up and be productive every, in the morning like I tried to in college. I'm not sure that I ever did it in the first place, right? But that's my limits. I have to get plenty of sleep. Uh, I have learned, as much as I hate to admit it, I can't always take the groceries in in one trip. Like, sometimes you got to go back and get some more bags. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the, that's the kind of limits. Uh, but I'm going to try. I've learned this other thing. I cannot, for the life of me, as much as I try, I cannot watch an entire Hallmark Christmas movie. I cannot do it. I don't know who, like, had the stomach to produce the whole thing. But I can't watch it. You are stronger than me if you can. You're right? Okay, so I'm joking. But there's things that I have limits, but there's other limits that, that I know are there. Uh, I just can't do things. I've got two kids. I've got two kids, and no matter how hard I try to be the good dad that I want to be, I cannot make them grow up to be God-honoring adults. I can't, I can't do that. My limits 
way back there. I can't. One day it's their decision. I, I, just, I just can't. I can't fix the fact that our nation is divided right now more than it's ever been. I think I got some good ideas. But even if me or you ran for president, that, that wouldn't fix it. It's not within our grasp. We have limits. But God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. He is able. He's got the ability. He's got the power. Right here in this church, I know of people who have had hard hearts softened by the love of God. Who for years, their spouse or their parents, their grandparents prayed for them and worked on them and worked on them and worked on them. But there was just something that God finally broke through and softened them. You, if you're that person, you know, there's a bunch of us in here. And everybody else tried to push us and make us go to church or do this or do that. But it was, it was God who broke through, right? Am I right? I see some heads nodding. Because God's able to do more than your grandma could ever ask or imagine. He's able. But we've got to trust him with it. Last year, my, um, my small group went through a book by a guy named Kyle Eidelman. Uh, he's, a, he's a preacher up in Kentucky, and he wrote this book called The End of Me. I love it. Uh, the End of Me. It actually, I love how you can kind of rephrase it. It could be The End of Me or The End of Me, and both of them kind of work with the, the way the book works. The premise of the book is this question. What do you trust in when you've reached the end of your own limitations? Like, when I reach the end of me, then what? That's the premise of the book. It's a really good book. I recommend it. It's a good devotional book. It's a good book to read uh, with your family. It's a good book to read with a small group. And so there's this Bible study that I found. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a study that you can go through as you read through the book. And it opens up with this letter. I'm going to abbreviate the letter. i got some of it on the screen here behind me. Uh, where it's, it's me writing a letter to me. Okay, so here's the letter. Dear me, I've known you for as long as I can remember. Looking back, it's fair to say I've treated you pretty well. I love you, Me. But I can't keep living for you. You always insisted that if I just keep you happy, then I'd be happy. And it's as simple as that. But you know what? It's not as simple as that. It never has been. Me? I've let you be in control. I'm sitting in the driver's seat. But it's clear you can't be trusted. You keep insisting that you know which way we should go, but it always seems to be a dead end. I've looked into, so I've looked into some other options. And I've decided to begin a journey down a different path. There's no easy way to say this. I can't take this path if I bring you alone, along. So, me, this is the end of you. Me. The idea is simple. Uh, when it comes to the biggest things in life, we were not created to handle it all, to operate on our own. We were created to live in the blessings of and led by the truth of God. We were created to live in community with one another and we were created to draw strength from the creator of all the universe. Not to be this pillar that holds ourselves up, but to know where to lean when we don't have the strength to do it on our own. You know, Daniel knows his limitations. And so Daniel goes to his friends who are also God chasers and they lay down their problems before God. And they ask for the strength to stand, even though they're out. And so God delivers in a huge way. Let's get back to our passage, verse 19. So it says, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. You hear that? That's, that's all we get. Like, it's not going to give a whole lot of big, so sometimes in the Bible, you go, oh, wait, there it goes. There's the answer. The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised God of heaven. 
See, God reveals to Daniel the meaning of the king's dream. And believe me, Daniel is ecstatic because he's like, yay, I don't have to get chopped into little pieces anymore. You would, it'd be a good day for you too, right? Uh, he was just fired, hired, he was just scheduled for the firing squad. And now he realized that God has handed him his deliverance. And so he celebrates in worship. And Daniel's about to give credit where credit is due. And so what I want to do is I want to look at these eloquent words that Daniel lays down as he praises God. If you've got your Bible, open them up. If you want to read it behind me, check this out. This is Daniel's word after he realizes that God has done more than he could have ever thought or imagined. He says, praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons he disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise. I love that. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells within him. Verse 23, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You've been, you have made known to us the dream of the king. I think we see Daniel's prayer echoed uh, in the book of Romans. The apostle Paul writes again. It's a shorter version of it. Verse, uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Paul says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable is his judgment and his paths are beyond tracing out. God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. He's so big. He's so able. And when you've done everything you can do to stand, he says, I've got you. I still got you. I'm going to see this thing into completion. Back to our story with Daniel in verse 24. Daniel went to Arioch, that's the guard, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise man of Babylon. He said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. So Arioch takes Daniel to the king at once. And I'm sure Daniel's, Arioch's like, okay, here we go again. Like, he's like, I'm just this messenger guy. But he takes him, he says, oh, king, why, one of the wise men has come up with an answer. Let's see how this plays out, all right? He takes a step back, verse 26. So the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian name. He says, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Visions and dreams are very common in, in biblical stories, and it's a way that God has communicated with mankind, I mean, all throughout history. I think even today, uh, he still appears to people in different ways, and it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard to, like, verify those things. I am a skeptic. I always have been, and so I hear things like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, really? God told you that, huh? God told me I need a cheeseburger. Yeah, how about you go get me one, right? And so, like, I'm sorry, I'm a jerk. I'm just, like, I'm skeptical about that kind of stuff. And so when we hear things that people saw visions and heard things, we're like, prove it. I love this story because what Daniel's about to do is to completely be able to verify that God showed him something. Nebuchadnezzar's ready to chop him to bits, okay? He's not, he's not about to have a whole lot of mercy and grace on this, this young boy. So Daniel shows up, and the king himself gets to be the one who verifies that God showed up. Daniel replied in verse 27. First, he wants to give credit where credit's due. So he says, King... No wise man, enchanter, or magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. 
Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. I'm going to kind of summarize them. You can read along in your Bible, but we're going to kind of have a bulleted point list on the screen here. So Daniel goes on, and he begins to uh, talk about this dream, and he says, listen, the dream that you had was about the future, okay? This is like a prophetic, futuristic dream, and this is how it works. First, he says, you saw a huge statue. I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar's like, this guy's good. Yeah, I saw a statue. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, Okay, okay, keep going. His chest and his arms were made of silver. All right, pretty good. Its belly and its thighs were bronze. Its legs were of iron. And its feet were of iron and clay. By now I'm thinking the king's pretty impressed. He's like, get out of my head. (laughs) You know, how did you know, right? Wow, jaw to the floor like, okay, go on. He says, all right, so as you were standing there, this rock just kind of comes out of nowhere and hits the statue, and it smashes the statue into pieces, pieces of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay. They just blow up all over the place. Yeah, and? But then the rock that hit the statue, it lands on the ground, and that rock hit by the statue stays, and it grows into a great mountain that fills the whole earth. And without missing a beat, he gives the interpretation of the dream. He said, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are that head of gold. You really are a powerful king. But your kingdom is not going to last forever. There's going to be other kingdoms after you. There's a silver part of the statue. It represents another kingdom that's going to be inferior to yours, but it's going to take over. And then after that will come another statue, uh, another kingdom, represented by the bronze And they're going to rule the whole earth. Fourth is going to come a really strong kingdom. It's going to be stronger than any kingdom that came before it. That's why it's made of iron. But it's going to be divided somewhat. So there's clay mixed up, and eventually the kingdom will fall. During that time, the God of heaven is going to send a rock. And it's going to destroy all the kingdoms that came before. And that rock is going to be the greatest kingdom ever. It's going to grow and it's going to fill the whole earth because it's going to be a kingdom established by God. Can you imagine the look on Nebuchadnezzar's face? Like every other wise man in the kingdom has failed him. This is 18-year-old kid standing here, like probably pimply face, like a bad like hairdo because he just woke up, you know, whatever. And he just lays it out. And he's not scared that it's the king. You realize that in, in the vision, he's like, king, by the way, you're great and everything, but your kingdom's going to fail. But he's not scared to tell him that. He's like, well, this is, what, this is what the dream means. And he totally lays out this plan. And this dream that Daniel interprets, I'm going to tell you, it plays out in history. And we're actually going to get into it in a couple of weeks. It, it could get really deep. But the kingdoms that they lay out there, just so you know, uh, there's the gold kingdom, which is the kingdom of Babylon. The next kingdom that comes is the Medo-Persian kingdom. And this is a kingdom that kind of supplants the Babylonian kingdom. But then along comes Alexander the Great, represented by the bronze. Alexander the Great, and in the future visions that Daniel interprets, are, whew, it's amazing how precise these visions are. It, I mean, I don't know if you're skeptical of that. I'm just saying, Nebuchadnezzar just confirmed that the dream he had was the one that Daniel saw from God. That's, that's all that I can say for sure. But then Alexander's uh, Greek kingdom is overcome by, do you know who? The Romans. Were they not the greatest and most powerful kingdom ever? 
made of iron, but also of clay, because eventually the local leadership in different areas start to kind of rebel, and they want their own kingdom, and the kingdom falls apart. But guess what happens during the Roman kingdom? God comes near in the form of a little baby named Jesus. Jesus is called the rock of our salvation. He's called the stone that the builders rejected. He's called the chief cornerstone and the capstone. In the book of 1 Peter, he is called the living stone. That rock is Jesus. And he comes through and he breaks all the rules. And he establishes a kingdom that still, to this day, has not failed. Thousands of years ago, Daniel sees this through Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And that rock grows and it fills the earth. Guys, Jesus is the rock. Way back here in this obscure book of Daniel, we see this amazing story that God has a plan to redeem the earth by coming himself in the form of a human. I want to wrap up Daniel's story and see how the king reacts. In verse 45, the second half of verse 45, it says, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. I love that he just accepts this thing. Uh, just, I mean, just a day before, he was this erratic crazy, self-obsessed king. And now he's like, wow, the God of heaven has shown what will happen in the future. The dream is true. That was this verification. Yeah, that's what I saw. And so therefore, I believe that the interpretation is trustworthy. So then Nebuchadnezzar, listen to this, fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. And the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods. And the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery to me. And so the king sets Daniel up in a high position in the kingdom and he gives him a bunch of riches. He even promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to leadership in the kingdom. And all because Daniel had all the answers and he was able to solve the problem by himself. No. Because a humble young man decided he's going to be a God chaser first. And not run scared when the king came knocking. But go to his knees. It turns out that one of the secrets to stand when you've reached the end of your rope and your limits. Is to kneel. To go before God and say, I, I, I can't stand in this. I need you. And when we do that. God answers, and he honors that. And so I just want to kind of close out with this, this, this question and these thoughts. The question I have, just rhetorically, what, what do you do when you reach your limits? Like, what do you do when you've had it? When you have had it, what do you do to stand? What is under you that keeps you going, right? Or what's holding you up? Daniel had reached his limits, and there was no way that he could do that task that was before him. He admitted it, and so did the other wise men. So he gets on his knees, and he looks for strength from God. You know, my coach back in high school was a tough guy. And, and he taught us what it meant to endure and dig deep, and I thank him for that. But one thing that I've learned is that life doesn't work that way. You can't always just dig deeper. Because at some point, you hit the bottom. You, you've, delved, you've given it all out. You, you've done everything you can. You've poured out all that you can. And so then you've got to go to a source that can fill you. It's the only way you can find strength after that. Life is bigger than I am. Life is bigger than you are. And standing under the weight of that can be unbearable, whether it's work stuff or relationship stuff or medical stuff that you're dealing with or money stuff or marriage stuff or addiction stuff, all this stuff, it piles up. 
and you're just not strong enough to stand and deal with it on your own, where do you go when you've reached the end of me? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He also says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 25, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. You remember the rock? That little rock came and knocked down the statue, and then it grew, and it filled the earth. That's the rock. That's Jesus' kingdom. That's his truth. That's his light. Verse 25 says, the rain came down, and the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet that house did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus is the rock. Make no mistake. He's how we stand. He's our foundation. He's our strength. And God revealed that to Daniel through these dreams and through prayer. It was thousands of years before Jesus even showed up in the earth, which to me is just verification of God's planning and his goodness. We weren't an afterthought. Jesus wasn't a makeup plan. A long, long, long time before he ever came, he had you in mind and me in mind and us in mind. And I'm going to tell you something. This rock, this kingdom that has not failed, I'm going to tell you, you guys are sitting in it and around it right now. God's kingdom is his church. It's his people. He's our king. And it's on his foundation that we can stand. You know, if you haven't already seen this in your own life, I think you'll be blown away if you are able to take some time to talk to some, some people who have. In this room right now are dozens of us. We've seen it. And so maybe this morning you're here and, and you're just checking out church because you came with a friend or you just wanted to give church a try. You want to try to check out God. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church. I want to encourage you to do something. Stick around and see what it's about. Like, try to have a conversation with somebody who seems to understand. Maybe if you saw somebody like, hmm, during the message, then either they were faking it because they were like, I don't know what he's talking about. Or they've been there and they've done that. You say, hey, listen, I'd like, to, I'd like to ask you a couple questions. Do that, for real. We can stand, guys. This world's beyond our limits. It is. We can't handle it by ourselves. But Jesus is the rock. His kingdom will never fail, and he holds us up. He'll give us the strength to stand. That's Daniel chapter 2. I want to pray for us this morning. God, you're good. Uh, thank you so much for your rock. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for the comfort you bring. Thank you, God, for, um, man, for answers. Uh, I thank you that you gave Daniel specific answers. Sometimes I get frustrated because you don't give me specific answers, and I wish you would. And Lord, allow me to be patient. Allow me to look for you in the daily the daily grind. And Lord, a prayer for our church, of our community, as we, as we head to Thanksgiving this week and other holidays, and this is a time that can be stressful and a time when things can bubble their ugly head. And I just pray that you give us the strength to stand under that when we've reached our limit. And also know that we don't have to do it on our own. We've got each other. God, we love you and you're good. And your love, it endures forever and we thank you for that. And Father, I just pray that you will help us see it daily. Help us to be God chasers. And that in, I don't know, a thousand years, people can look back on a story about our life and think, man, they stood up. They stood up. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.